0: Uh, anyway, the reason we're here this morning is for adult Sunday school class, <laughs> and uh, I actually am going to uh, speak this morning a little bit about uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? And I thought I knew a little bit about them until I started reading about them, and uh, I learned a lot uh, more in the last, uh, uh, it's probably about a week and a half or so that I've been working on this, and I wanted to share it with you this morning. Uh, the PowerPoint uh, will be available if anybody wants me to email it to them or anything like that, I'd be very pleased to do that, okay? Um, so, um, let me just uh, pray for us one more time uh, for uh, this time together. Lord, we just thank you for the time that we've got to come together this morning for Sunday school, and we just thank you for the blessing you've given us of being in a free country uh, where we can uh, do that. I uh, pray now that you would help us to uh, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to receive uh, this, uh, your study, and through your word, in Christ's name I pray, amen. Okay, so uh, I started off with a with a. With a quote here from Ecclesiastes, or a verse here from Ecclesiastes, just to talk about what has been, what will be, what has been done, will be done, there's nothing new under the sun. And the very core of Jehovah Witnesses' movement is no different than what Eve experienced with the serpent in the Garden of Eden, or what we heard Dan preach about this morning in uh, Acts chapter 20 about the word being twisted. This is a perfect example of where the Word of God has been taken and a few participles, and not even really nouns or verbs or anything like that, but a few participles have been changed, and it changes the whole meaning of what, um, what the Word of God means. And uh, this is just a perfect example, and if you were in service already, you heard it. If you're not, I'm going to give you a little bit of a preview, but uh, Dan will preach on the fact that we need to always be on guard Against false teaching. And this is an example of where many, many very good people have been led astray by a very charismatic uh, figurehead who spoke well, wrote well, and uh, just twisted just enough. You know, it's just, it's, it's not really the, you know, if somebody makes a right hand turn or somebody makes a 180 degree turn, you know, you can see that real easily and you can say, oh, that's not right. If somebody's doing that on an interstate, you'd call it a crash. But if somebody just kind of you know, veers off just a little bit, you know, maybe they looked at the phone they shouldn't have looked at, or maybe they got a little sleepy and they just veered off just a little bit, that can be just as deadly, but it's not something that's readily apparent. And what I want to do this morning is two things. Number one, I want to share with you those little things that are making them veer off the road, okay? Uh, and so you can guard your heart. But most importantly, I want to inform you on how you can speak to them and hopefully, reclaim them. Because these are people that are good folks that are working hard and really think that they're pouring self out for the gospel. The problem is they're pouring it out for the gospel in a wrong way. Okay? And uh, that's where I want to go with this this morning. So I, that's why I wanted to start out, you know, real quickly with, uh, with that one. The other one I wanted to start out with, um, you might remember this one a couple of weeks ago um, when I did the. Um, if you could just go ahead and advance it for me for some reason. up oh, there it goes. Um, you might remember this picture that I shared a couple of weeks ago when I did the Ninth Commandment. And, you know, talked about somebody masquerading. That's the shark and the goldfish. And then, you know, kind of a half, half lie put a half lie, a half truth put a half truth doesn't equal anything but a lie. What you're going to find today is that 99% or 99.99% truth and the .01% lie still makes a lie as well, and that's really where we're going to head with today's lesson. Okay, so let's dig in. Um, a little bit about these guys. So uh, you see uh, the picture there of uh, C.T. Russell. Uh, C.T. Russell was born in 1852, uh, uh, I think it was, if I've got it written down there right. Yeah, and uh, you can see he died in 1916, but he was called the pastor and he was the founder of the Jehovah Witnesses. It actually wasn't named the Jehovah Witnesses until after his death. You can see that it was uh, named in 1931 there. And it started out, he was a congregationalist. He grew up that way. And what I read from the uh, the book that I used for my primary source here is that's a very, very tough church and uh, very strong Uh, with their beliefs and things like that. I'd heard that before. I haven't read anything about them, so I really can't comment on that. But uh, let's just say they were very strict, and he started up this Bible class that became a Bible study, and then he got elected the pastor of this uh, Bible class. That's why he used the word the pastor for the rest of his life uh, at the age of 18. okay, So he started this at a very early age. Um, Think about this, and, and just think about us as parents in here. Your child rebels by starting a Bible study. You know, I mean, think about that. Your child rebels by starting a Bible study. Very few of us in here would really wake up and figure out that. We'd say that's a great thing. You know, if your child was going off, you know, once a week or five times a week or however many times he did it a week, uh, you would say, hey, it's a really good thing. And his parents probably did at the time, too. And who knows if they ever really knew exactly, you know, where all this went. But later on, you know, he uh, he started what they called, uh, and you can see it there, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and this is really where the group uh, became incorporated in the late 1800s. You think about this as during the Reconstruction period of the United States after the Civil War. Uh, there was a lot going on. It was big industrial expansions. So there, there were a lot of people that were really questioning what was going on at that time. It, it's not unlike a time that we're in now. It was tumulus for other reasons, um, but uh, it was tumulus nonetheless. And uh, they didn't have the internet, uh, so they didn't, uh, you know, couldn't get on Facebook, or you know, Twitter, or things, Instagram, things like that. But they did have uh, mass printing press, okay? And even to this day, uh, I, you'll see it at the very end, there's two publications, Awake and The Watchtower, which the uh, Jehovah Witnesses print out. And they print millions and millions of copies. And you can see down there at the bottom, they do about 30 million copies per month. Now, that's a few years old. They probably do a little bit more electronically now. But uh, anyway, uh, you can see a little idea of, of how it is. So think of this as uh, you know, the, the, the late 1800s. This is during a time that's uh, you know, very uh, different in the United States, different than anything had happened. There's a lot of the societies being turned upside down. And here's somebody that comes along that starts passing out just like tons of brochures and getting the word out. And think about somebody on Instagram, you know, having you know millions of followers and things like that. This is the kind of influence that this guy had. Now he never really got that big, okay? Even in his own lifetime, um, I think he barely got to a million uh, followers. But his his breath of spreading um, his perversion of the scriptures. Uh, was much, much broader, okay? So it was much, much broader than uh, than what the actual members of the society were. And from a very early time, the society really pushed the missionary movement. So very similar to how the Mormons, you know, they go out and they, they knock on doors. In fact, if you see a set of Jehovah Witnesses and you see a set of, uh, you know, Mormon missionaries, there's not going to be that much different other than the Mormons are probably going to be younger and probably, you know, working as, uh, you know, Two guys or two girls or something like that, whereas the Jehovah Witnesses usually work as a family, and it'll be like a parent with their child or something like that. You know, they do it a little bit differently, but they dress nice, they look very presentable, they come up and do stuff like that. Uh, It's been a long time since I've had anybody, you know, knock on my uh, doors, the Jehovah Witnesses, even though I'm sure we've all experienced that at some point in our lifetime um, I did a few weeks ago, though, um, have a robocall, and I don't know why I answered it, but I did, uh, and it was a Jehovah Witness, and uh, they started you know, sharing the gospel with me, and it sounded just like the gospel that would be preached here in the church, and at a high level, you're going to see they're not that much different, but as you dig in, you know, it's those little participles and the things like that that make a huge amount of difference, okay? Um, but it sounded good, and then, and then finally I asked, well, you know, who are you associated with? And they finally told me, because that's another thing, you know, they don't really tell you about who they're associated with. And, uh, and I said, well, um, I talked to them a little bit, and it was, it was actually uh, a few weeks before I knew I was going to do this class, so I <laughs> now I would probably say it a little bit differently. But anyway, we had a little bit of a conversation, and, and I wished them well, and they wished me well, and that was about it. But uh, anyway, um, it's interesting. So I, I don't think there's anything else on here. You can read, you know, some of the words on here. Um, the, uh, the Bible that they use is called the NTW, uh, the New World Translation. So if you see that Bible, um, that Bible is uh, one to be very, very wary of. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and uh, move forward here. So the first thing I want to do is just a quick overview of just some of the points uh, that they make, and then we're going to dig into some more detail on some of the more pertinent ones. Okay, so they are a cult. Okay, so they, um, you know, they do call themselves a church, or you, you've heard the word Kingdom Hall, but at the end of the day, they are, they are a cult, and they really organize and, and work that way. Um, I, I put down here, just because of my reading and everything, they master uh, scriptural distortions by adding words to common verses. And when we get into some of the details about you know, how we can witness to a Jehovah Witness, I'm going to actually take you through a couple of scriptures uh, where you'll see where they twist it. Okay? Um, they believe it's impossible to understand God's plan without their theology. Okay, not theology or not the Bible or anything like that, but their theology. So you can sort of see where they, they're they're very authoritarian, which you'll see that a little bit more later as well. Um, The other thing's interesting about them, I actually did not know this about them, but they believe that Christ actually came to rule in 1914. Okay, I never found out where in the world they're, at first it was 1890-something, I don't think it was 1896, I forget the exact date, but then they re. Re-adjusted that, and it was 1914. And uh, anyway, and we're going to talk about the 144 and the the heavenly class and things like that uh, a little bit later. But uh, anyway, it's it's very interesting on some of those things they they believe. And at the end of the day, um, you know, there's a few things that they believe, like you know, that a lot of us might have some different opinions on. You know, what do the end times look like and stuff like that. That's not really you know, where it, where it is, uh, you know, really what we're going to find is it's about how they treat Jesus and who the Jesus is is going to be the, the biggest thing about why they aren't, you know, a Christian church. Uh, the next is uh, they are a giant publishing company. You saw the numbers on the previous page. And I, I, I kind of use this because I'm trying to bring it forward to where we are today. But they do uh, purvey a lot of fake news and they distort history. So a lot of their publications that there were some examples of and the stuff that I was reading show, again, where they take things and they kind of twist it or turn it to, to be what they need to be. Um, this is an uh, interesting one that some of you probably are aware of. They're conscientious, conscientious objectors. Okay, So they don't fight in wars. Um, it's interesting, since they believe that the kingdom of God was established in 1914, and they believe that that's a heavenly kingdom that rules earth, um, they basically do not believe that they can salute or give any type of allegiance to a flag or a country. It doesn't have to be the United States. It could be Japan. You know, it could be Russia. It could be wherever they are. It doesn't really make any difference. It's just they don't give allegiance. And because they don't give allegiance, they don't fight. Now, there's been some movies and shows like that where certain Jehovah Witnesses will do different things, and, and you've seen other you know, sects of Christianity that uh, you know, don't believe in actually fighting and, and will serve in other ways. But these are actually anti-government. Now, not anti-government how we might see Atifa or uh, Proud Boys or stuff like that today. Um, This is more of a um, just, I'm against government because I'm under the government of the heavenly kingdom. Okay, So think about it that way, not so much as what some of the disruptions we're seeing in today's world. Uh, but it's very interesting, and, uh, and there's actually religious exemptions for some of these people if you look at details in some of the, the military and things like that. And then the last kind of interesting thing, um, and I did this is one I didn't know, is uh, they only celebrate uh, Christ's death at Passover, and that's the only thing they celebrate. They don't celebrate Easter, so they don't celebrate his, his rising up from the dead. We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, and they also don't uh, celebrate birthdays or Christmas or anything like that. Um, and they're very anti that stuff. Um, and the reason that they do that is because they believe that Christ's death, where he died for our sins, and that's what they'll say, you know, Christ died for our sins, which, you know, again, sounds okay at first at a high level until you start digging into it. They believe that's the most important thing. And it is a really important thing, right? And it probably is the most important thing that he died for our sins. But again, um, it's how it gets distorted that's in the details, Okay. So that's an overview, and uh, what we'll do now is, uh, you know dig in. I've got uh, three pages of details here uh, that uh, I'm going to uh, take you through. And as we go through these things, um, these are the thi- this is not a complete list. So you can read, and uh, actually, Ross provided me with an excerpt from a book that was about 100 pages that I read through for the lesson, and there's a lot of stuff. So I tried to pick out the things that are probably most egregious and were highlighted mostly in the book, but the book had a ton of other things that were, I guess, at the next level down. But there's enough here that you'll get the idea, okay? (laughs) And uh, Especially trying to fit this into a a class. Okay, so the first thing um, is they're called the Jehovah Witnesses because they're really going back to what we would think of as as, uh, Old Testament God. Now, I've got to be really careful here, because we even go look at the Old Testament and we see the Trinity and things like that. But they're thinking about the Jewish nation looking up to Jehovah God and, and thinking about it as a single being, okay? So uh, we're going to go back and talk about that as we get into some of the different things about the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus Christ. but, uh, but they, they believe in God, the same God that we believe in, and they would call Him the Almighty God, and they call Him Jehovah God, uh, you know, those types of things but they don't believe that he has three parts. So I, I want to talk about this for just a minute, and I want to use an illustration that sometimes I use with our youth when I teach our youth about the Trinity. And I want you to imagine that in front of me was a veil or a curtain, okay? And that curtain had three holes cut in it. And out the top hole, I stuck my head, and out the middle hole, I stuck my hand, And out the bottom hole, I stuck my foot. Okay, so all you see is a black curtain with a head, a hand, and a foot sticking out. Okay, now let's assume that you're an alien and you happen to... uh, You know, come to uh, Earth from Mars in the spaceship that we've been reading around in the news the last couple of weeks. And uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) And uh, anyway, and you did not know what a person looked like. And you walked up to this uh, curtain and you saw a head and a hand and a foot sticking out. You say, Oh, there's three things up there. And there are three distinct things. And uh, anyway, I I would think about that that way. Now, anyway, I pull the curtain away and you see one. Okay? And, And we think about God the Father as the head. We think about Jesus who came down to earth and did the work, That's the hand. And we think about the foot. We think about you know, God, the Holy Spirit, who is walking with us on a day-to-day basis. Okay, so that's a, I don't want to draw it out too far, but just a simple analogy of, of how the Trinity is one, but yet there's the three persons, there's the three parts. Okay, they believe, like, they would stop at the curtain and they would say there's three parts there. Okay? And roughly what they believe is that God Almighty, okay, the Godhead, is God, and there's no other God but Jehovah, okay? That's basically, I mean, the Bible says that, right? So they, they, they've, they've taken that, and they've run with it, okay? Um, they believe that Jesus is a God, okay? And, and we're going to see the distortion of Scripture in a little bit, um, but they would call him like a baby God, or a junior God. You know, you like have Zeus, and then you'd have all the little Zeuses. You know, that go along with Zeus, right? So, so he's like a little baby God, okay? And, um, We'll talk a little bit more about that here in just a second. And then the Holy Spirit, they would say, is the force of God. So think of that, again, using our kind of current uh, stuff. Think of uh, Star Wars and the force be with you. And, uh, you know, so, so God, you know, kind of uses his godly force to, to move things around, you know, whether, you know whatever it is. And that's what they believe the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is just kind of a, uh, a hand of God or a, or a manifestation of God. It's not a, a, not a separate, distinct uh, person. So let's dig into a little bit about what does that really mean. So we talked about the Trinity. We talked about, you know, and there's only one God. Uh, and then let's go into the deity of Christ. So they believe that Jesus is a mighty God, you know, a God. And, and actually in their scriptures, they use little g instead of capital G. So that kind of tells you where they're headed. And um, they talk about the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And then also, when they uh, talk about creation, they talk about that Jesus was the first creation of God. Okay, so they they actually believe that uh, Jesus is a creation of God, similar to like the angels. Okay, and they, they elevate Jesus above the angels. Um, some of the places they, they read uh, read kind of called him a, an archangel. I, I would almost say like Michael or, or even Satan or something like that. But, uh, but they are a created being, but he is the top of the created beings. And then what they would believe is basically that when you, And again, we'll get into the scriptures as our time allows, but they'll allow, they'll allow it to say, okay, well, um, you know, God created Jesus. And then when we read the passages where, um, you know, Jesus you know, the, shat, the, the over the earth and stuff like that, he, he, they would talk about the fact that this was after Jesus was created. So it's just kind of interesting. Okay, now the Holy Spirit, the next one up there, they talk about that just being a force. So the best way I can think of it is just think about it as Star Wars, an invisible force of God. It's just his extending his arm out, okay? The virgin birth, uh, this gets kind of a little interesting because you remember that um, you know, the Holy Spirit is just a, just a force of God. So you know, when we read the scripture about the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, and she conceived, and, and, and Jesus was there, um, they, they believe that God breathed life into the womb of Mary. Okay? It's kind of a different twist on words, but they don't believe that Jesus, as he came here on earth, was fully God and fully man. They believe that he was only man, okay? Now, the problem with believing that he's only man, I mean, you can go down a lot of different paths here, but the big thing is, is that how in the world could he live a perfect life um, if he wasn't fully God and fully man? Because the fully God part allowed him not to sin. Now, they do believe that he lived a perfect life and a sinless life and things like that, but you, know, you get into some of the questions of, of how. Okay, and then uh, atonement. Um, they believe that Jesus died for our sins as a sinless man to atone exactly, and this is a key word, exactly, for the sin of Adam as a man, okay. So they believe, and again, this is where you have to study it, and I'm probably not going to do it justice in a quick class here. But they come in and they would say that uh, Adam sinned, and they believe therefore everybody's sin is, you know, goes to the next generation through the line of Adam, and that Jesus came down as a man, and that um, he uh, he lived a perfect life as a man, not. Uh, God and man, but he lived a perfect life as a man, and then as a man he died, and that was an equal and just um, uh, sacrifice for you know, the sin of Adam. Okay, so again, the part that's missing out of that is God. They don't believe that Jesus is God okay, so it's just, it was an action of man, so theoretically, you know, we could take, you know, one of the babies that's born here, we could make sure they live a perfect life, and then they could get crucified, and then they would, you know, atone for our sins, is basically what they believe, Um, which is hard, I mean, it takes a lot of faith, right, so uh, anyway, okay, well, let's, let's keep moving on, okay, next one is uh, salvation by grace, bring that one up here, yeah go ahead and help me there thank you okay salvation by grace okay so now um they they would say we're saved by grace okay and they they would say that and and actually I went and read ephesians two eight and nine um, uh, in their Bible and it read pretty normal uh, they had a few words changed but not any words that really changed the meaning too much, so they believe that, but they believe that's only half the story so um, they believe that We're not just saved by grace, but we're saved half by grace and half by works. So that's why they work so hard. And you see the same thing with a lot of cults. You see the same thing with the Mormons and things like that. They believe they have to go out and earn God's favor by doing these things. And uh, one of the things that they actually do is they have different levels that you are in the church uh, based on how many hours you put in per year. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later when we talk about them themselves um, but uh, they, do, they do believe that. Um, you know, it's half and half, so as opposed to grace alone. The next one, uh, the resurrection of Christ. So they do believe that Christ was raised from the dead, but I couldn't find anywhere where they really explained this well. So I think that they maybe haven't worked it out completely, or maybe I just didn't, couldn't find it. But they believe that God raised Jesus' spirit, okay, but not his body. But I never found any explanation of, okay, when he was walking around the earth, what was he walking around in? But I think what they were using is they were using some of the scriptures where you saw Jesus you know, pass through walls and stuff like that and appear here and then he appeared there. You know, different things that happened after Christ's raising from the dead where he was fully God and fully man, and we saw a little bit more of the fully God part, but they believe that he was just a spirit the whole time that he was walking around on earth. But they don't ever address what happened to his body, okay? Um, but uh, anyway, so they do believe that he was resurrected from the dead. Uh, but it, again, they kind of look at it in a little different, a different way than we would. Uh, the next one is the return of Christ and the human government. So um, they believe that the Spirit Jesus, and they, they call him a glorious spirit, uh, you know, is what, what, what rose up to heaven uh, with the ascension. And then uh, they believe that he came back in uh, 1914 and he established his kingdom you know, here on earth. Um, he rules from heaven, but he came down here, earth, set up his kingdom, and guess what? He set it up through the Jehovah Witnesses. <laughs> so I say that jokingly, but anyway, um, that's, what they, that's what they believe. Okay, now, hell and eternal punishment. This is another one that's pretty interesting. This is one where they believe that hell is just the common grave of mankind. So we'll get into it here in a little bit, but they believe... That when you're dead, you're dead. Okay, your soul doesn't live on. It doesn't go, you know, different, different people have lived but They just believe you're dead, you're dead. So they're a little bit like the Sadducees. Uh, if you think about them from the, from the um, biblical times uh, when Jesus was running around, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They do believe in the resurrection of the dead, okay, but they believe that you're dead <laughs> until you get resurrected. And again, that was one of those things that wasn't really very well explained in the literature uh, that I had. But uh, it was just kind of a fact they had. Now, um, their argument, when you talk to them about why there's no hell, because, you know, obviously, again, you've got to think about when they grew up, there was a lot of hell, fire, and damnation teaching going on. And uh, so this was probably a reaction against that. You just have to think about the times that they were in. But uh, it, was, uh, it was very interesting to uh, just read about what they say is, a loving God, how can he torment somebody eternally? Okay, yeah, that was their argument. Okay, and you know, again, you sometimes hear that in other circles. It doesn't have to be Jehovah's Witness. You know, how could a loving God allow this or that to happen? You know, how could they allow 9-11 to happen? How could they have, you know, somebody have to suffer for twenty eight years waiting on a green card? How could you do this? How you could do that? I mean, you know, that's that's what people say, right? Well, this is what they said. They said, how could God do that? How in the world can there be an eternal hell? So they're they're, they're um, I'm, Let me move ahead again. Go ahead and let's go to the next one. There, chart three, three of three. So I, I'll get ahead of myself too much. So let's talk about this one for a little bit. This one is, uh, this is an interesting, and then we'll pick back up with the kingdom of heaven here in a minute. Um, man, the soul, and his eternal destiny. So they, they believe, and again, you can see kind of where they distorted some words, but uh, they believe that mankind is made up of two parts. So uh, God took the dust of the earth, right? Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth, and then he breathed life into him. Okay, so they don't, you know, we think about it, you know, God put his spirit in him, right? He gave him a soul. He put his spirit in him. Um, They would say God breathed life into him. So no different than an animal. You know, an animal, you know, came from dirt, back to dirt it goes, and while it's alive, it has breath. It has life. They don't recognize that there's that different part of a person that makes a person, you know, conscious, makes them more eternal as their soul. They don't believe in that. They believe we're just kind of like animals. We're dust plus breath. Okay, so when you talk about the soul, they would say the soul is the breath. And then when somebody dies, it goes away. I mean, they just become dust again, okay? And the breath and the soul just dies. And the resurrection, um, again, it's a mystery for them, but the resurrection is when uh, God, and it's not Jesus, but it's, it's God calls them up again, and they become body and soul. So they do believe in a resurrection like we believe in a resurrection, but they don't believe, you know, we would believe that the body dies and the body wastes away, but the soul, you know, goes to be with God, okay? That the soul lives, okay? We, that's what we think about when we invite Jesus into our, our life and our, our spirit and we'll live forever. We believe that our spirit goes and then our spirit is then, um, you know, reunited with our body, basically, right? They don't believe that. They believe that it's dead. Okay, so uh, you can read a couple of extra words there. But uh, anyway, next is the kingdom of heaven. So um, this is kind of an interesting thing, and, and I really didn't, didn't get this. I, I had to read it a couple of times before I wrote up this little paragraph. But they, you've heard about the 144, the 144 chosen. okay? So the 144 chosen are, are what they call these uh, spiritual sons of God, ruling priests and kings. So I guess they're the, like, the really, really good people um, that are the top 144,000 of all Christians. They actually get to go up to heaven and they rule with King Jesus next to God in heaven. Okay, they believe that there's going to be millions of saved people on the new earth. So that kind of sounds a little bit like what we would hear. You know, there's a new heavens and a new earth. So the 144,000 are ruling in the new heavens. The millions of people that are the converts that are the true believers in God are on the earth. Okay, it's just kind of an interesting idea. Not necessarily, you know, right, but uh, you know, it's it's interesting and. Uh, that's what they believe, and then they believe that the 144,000 was cut off. You had to be born before 1914. Okay, <laughs> so it was it was really interesting when the book, when this book that uh, that I was reading was written, it was around the year 2000, late 90s, the year 2000. And um, at that time, there was only 6,000 people left in the Jehovah Witnesses that had the possibility of being part of the 144,000. Not all of them would have been the 144,000 because nobody actually knew how good each one was. But uh, anyway, but I, I guess that's because that's when Jesus established his kingdom, the 1914. I, I, I never found out why they picked that date. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, that's, that's what they believe. But the good news is, is I guess there are going to be those of us that can be saved here on the new, new earth, so that's good. But they do believe that there's this heavenly kingdom that rules the new earth. And it, it, anyway, kind of an interesting thought, but again, a, kind of a perversion of, of what we believe. And then the, the last one is the, uh, the Holy Scriptures. And I, we can read, talk a little bit more about the thousand years if we have time, but that was kind of an interesting piece too. Um, the Holy Scriptures... Um, they will say what we would love to hear them say. So they, they use words like it's inherent, infallible, inspired uh, word of God. But the truth is, it's only their version of the Bible. So if if you ask them to you know, look at the King James Version or the ESV or something like that, that we might trust a little bit more as a translation, they would say, no, 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 it's, it's this Bible. Now, their Bible is very similar. This is the same thing that happens with the Book of Mormon. You know, every couple of years it has some really major revisions. Okay? So something happens that they can't deny and they have to change a couple of words. And, and it was interesting when I was looking at, at the book here how cer- certain verses had actually changed over time. So there was the, the 1896 version, then there was the 19 something, you know, 1910 version, and then there was the 1930s version, there was the 1950s version, there's the 60s, there's the 80s, and, you know, so on and so forth up to uh, I was actually looking online this morning, because I got a verse I wanted to share with you, and what I was able to pull up on my phone was the 2013 version, okay, so this Bible is, you know, constantly, constantly changing, but it's still the New World Translation, okay, so anyway, I'm sorry for I have a little humor in there, okay, now, so that's all of the, uh, I guess all the kind of things that I would say are the major things that really differ them from our Christian faith, and uh, if you go ahead and punch it up for me there. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what are their habits, okay? What, what can you expect of Jehovah Witness? And then I'm going to close with my last page, which is how do we witness to them? So first is, um, they are sincere in their beliefs. And, and I, I read this, and, and, and I'm sure all of you that have met these folks, uh, whether it be a door-to-door or on the phone, you know, they, they, they believe strongly and are uh, seemingly very sincere and, and, and well-rooted, okay? So, so they're not somebody that's necessarily being blown around. I mean, when you think about what they have to go through, and um, we didn't talk about their society that much, but it's pretty tough. Um, you know, they're, they're pretty firm. Um, the uh, next one is they're highly works-based. So remember I told you that there was these different tiers of believers so this is kind of funny. This goes back to the Watchtower and Bible Track Society days. But if you volunteer more than 1,200 hours a year, you are a publisher. <laughs> and if you go a lot more, you're a pioneer. So uh, anyway, and then they've got different things like uh, overseers and you know, stuff like that. They've got a couple different tiers. But uh, they're really, really big on volunteerism. And if their headquarters is in Brooklyn, New York, and it's been there for uh, almost 100 years, actually probably over 100 years now, but they own a couple of, of uh, factories that they've converted and bought, I guess, uh, big blocks and stuff like that. It's some nice-looking buildings in New York, in Brooklyn, I guess. But uh, they, um, they actually have 3,000 apartments that are in their compound. And people come and live there and basically give their time for free. And they get a stipend of, like, I think it's up to $30 a week or something like that. And they get a little stipend to, you know, spend a little money here and there. But basically, they're fully cared for. But what they do... Is uh, you know they do the lessons they you know help you know cover the churches you know they do the administration of the, the body and things like that so it's really kind of interesting how they have this almost like you would expect of a cult they have a place where they all live together and worship together and all that kind of stuff and they and they call that simply the headquarters they're not so inventive uh, with their name uh, but uh, anyway um, so they do that uh, they uh, you know the next thing is they thrive on confusion and hide who they're witnessing to. So where we have to be careful as Christians and you know, our children or other people that might get caught up by somebody that shares this with them is they masquerade as mainstream. Okay? They, they'll say things like it's the inherent word of God. They'll say the Almighty God. They'll say Jesus died for our sins. They'll say he rose again from the dead. They'll say all those things. And in fact, uh, the author was talking about the fact that they changed that a lot just to make sure that they stay on top of the you know, current culture. So they're very you know, careful that way, but they never really tell who they are. And I don't know about you, but I always like, whenever somebody talks to me, I "Well, so where are you from or who are you associate with? And a lot of times they won't tell and then you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so that's that. Um, they run an absolute autocracy. So it's very top-down, 100% controlled. So if you look, if you look um, at the next paragraph, the second to the last paragraph, I'm going to work from the back forward. So they have the headquarters in Brooklyn, New York. They have 12, it, well, as of the writing of the book, it was 12. They said that number's not always 12. But they have 12 people that are the governing body. Okay, so think of that as like they're 12 apostles. And then they have all these different, um, they have, you know, like we would call like a, a presbytery, and a general assembly things like They have circuits, districts, and then when you get down to the church, they don't call it a church, they call it a kingdom hall, and then they have a presiding overseer and minister, uh, ministerial um, servants. So it's kind of interesting how they're set up, but they're set up very hierarchical. And then you can see they meet uh, five times a week. They have what they call the public talk. They have the watchtower study. They have a theocratic ministry school. Um, they have a service meeting and they have a book study. And I was reading that some of these meetings are actually put together. So the um, public talk and the Watchtower story are what you and I would think of as church and Sunday school, um, and they usually do that on Sunday. And the uh, theocratic ministry and the service meeting are usually they're kind of like Wednesday night things. Some of those of you who grew up in the South remember your, your Wednesday night church. And uh, then the book study is just a uh, think of that as a Bible class or a Bible study, so it's not that different than what we do. But they're very uh, religious about making sure you tick all the boxes, you know, every week and do what you need to do. So again, going back to that whole thing of uh, you know being very uh, work driven. So if you can punch me to the last one, please. Okay, so let's talk about how do we how do we witness to them? Okay, and uh, first off is is I just put down. Love and respect them where they are, because these are people that are given a tremendous amount of their life, their energy, you know, their time, treasure, and tithe, as you might say, um, you know, to this ministry, and they feel very strongly about it. So you pretty much, this is not something where they're going to knock on your door and you're going to convince them not to be a Jehovah Witness while they're standing in your front door, even if they sit down and have coffee with you. This is going to be something where you need to develop a relationship, earn their trust, and then work with them. And, and you guys know this, right? It's, it's what we do as Christians when we witness to somebody. We, we, we witness usually by showing hospitality, building a relationship, and then helping people to understand where they are. Okay, so the next one is just be cordial and patient. So this passage from 1 Peter uh, was used uh, actually in one of the websites that I was looking at, uh, but I thought it was, was great to put in here. It says, you know, we need to be ready to give an account for what we hope for, so we need to know some of these details, Okay. And we need to do it with general and reverence. So we need to do it in a, in a very gentle way and appreciative and respectful. Okay, it doesn't mean that we don't stand for the truth. Remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago when I led Sunday School about the truth. So we're not saying that we're doing away with the truth, but we have to do it in a gentle and reverent way. Um, the, the website that I was looking at that Ross had shared with me, um, and that's the link for it here at the bottom, uh, but uh, they were talking about the best way to approach them and if really think about it, if they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, you just need to kind of teach them who Jesus Christ is, okay? They believe he's a man, and, or you know, a prophet is what you'll hear. You'll hear the same theme kind of from the Mormons when we talk about them. Uh, but uh, but they, they, they don't believe that he's the Almighty God. They don't believe that, that he is God. They don't believe that he's fully man and fully God. And I, and I want to read um, just from their scriptures, and I know we're pretty much out of time now, so let me just read this one. And, And this is John 1, chapter 1. And there's other passage we could use, but uh, we're going to be out of time. It says, in the beginning was the word. This is is theirs, okay? So see if you can catch what they did. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a little g God. Okay? Um, So they added the word a, and they made... A uh, capital G into a little g, basically, if you would go compare it to our scriptures. So that's just a perfect example, but all of a sudden, right, that makes Jesus not God. And, you know, how can we believe that, uh, that Jesus, just a man or a prophet, you know, came down here and lived a perfect life? It's, it's, that's something that, that, that's where they're lost, right? I mean, that's the core of it. That's where they're lost. So, um, so anyway, so, that, so that's really it, um, you know, it was actually very interesting. You can go out to uh, you know Bethinking.org, which is a great website. It had a lot of other stuff on it too, other than Jehovah Witnesses. But uh, um, you can go out there and, and punch around a little bit. If anybody would like a copy of this presentation, or if you'd like to talk with me, if you've got a friend that's Jehovah Witness that you'd like to talk a little bit more, how you could approach them, I could share some more scriptures with you and things like that. Um, if you'll punch to the last chart, um, I, 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 I wanted to tell you. You know, these are their their three main publications. So you say the the New World Translation, the Watchtower, and the Awake. And this is a quote, uh, actually it's uh, in the last paragraph of the book uh, that I used for this this study. It says, as a speaker, the pastor, so this is going back to C.T. Russell, swayed many because he was a, a very dynamic speaker and wrote a lot and things like that. As a theologian, he impressed no competent man, okay, and then as a man, he fell before the true God because he did not recognize um, God, the, the God that we worship. So uh, anyway, so that's it. And uh, let me close in prayer. Lord, we thank you uh, for the opportunity that we have to come and uh, study together today. We pray that you would uh, bring uh, people into our lives that we can share the word of God. Lord, if that's Jehovah Witness, that would be great. But Lord, help us to go out with the same Uh, fervent uh, missionary zeal uh, that some of these folks do, Lord, and to spread your word to those that are lost, regardless of why they're lost. We thank you for the opportunity in this free country to study and to talk about these things. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, thanks.